Welcome to the Five Books for Catholics podcast, where experts explain their pick of five outstanding books on an aspect of Catholic life, doctrine, or culture. The fourth gospel, attributed to the Apostle John, focuses more than the other three on Christ's divinity and the three divine persons. For this reason, the Greek tradition calls him John, the theologian. His gospel differs significantly in style and structure from the synoptic gospels, and has always been one of the most closely studied and read books of the Bible. In this interview, Dr. William Wright explains his pick of five books that can help us unlock the riches of the Gospel of St. John. Dr. William Wright is professor at the McAnulty College and Graduate School of Liberal Arts at Duquesne University. He is a specialist in New Testament studies with special focus on the Johannine writings. He is author of numerous articles and several books, including The Gospel of John, which he co-authored with Father Francis Martin. He has been elected to the Studiorum Novi Testamenti Societas and serves on the U.S. Lutheran-Roman Catholic Ecumenical Dialogue. He is also a lay Dominican. Dr. Wright, welcome. Thank you, Father. I'm happy to be here with you. Thank you for the kind invitation. Diving right in to the questions. From the Fathers on, the Church has attributed the fourth gospel to the Apostle John. Of course, it would still be the word of God, even if it were written by someone else. What matters is that the church recognizes that it's been written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, could you share your own view on its human authorship and whether it is rooted in the teaching of St. John? Did its author also write the letters of St. John and the book of Revelation? Okay, thank you. So I think there are uh, a couple of uh, couple of related questions here. I think, first of all, to begin with, in the New Testament canon, there are five writings that are, as you mentioned, uh, associated with a figure named John. There's the Gospel of John, the three letters of John, and the book of Revelation. Now, of those five writings, the three letters of John and the Gospel of John are very closely related in their uh, theological and literary style um, and some of their idiom uh, with which uh, in which they speak. Um, the book of Revelation, which is ironically the only of those five writings to actually identify to name its author as John, has some striking convergences uh, with the other Johannine writings. For example, the Gospel of John and the Book of Revelation are the only writings in the New Testament to call Jesus the Word of God. Um, uh, in the Gospel of John, uh, as we know, uh, in chapter one, and also famously uh, uh, in the canon of the Mass, Jesus is called the Lamb of God. The lamb, uh, who, uh, the lamb that was slain yet is alive is also a primary image for Jesus in the book of Revelation. Um, so the gospel and the apocalypse are the only writings to really foreground uh, those to the image of Jesus and the lamb. So, uh, but at the same time, there are enough literary, stylistic, and theological differences uh, to think that um, to at least register between the gospel and the letters on one hand and the apocalypse on the other. So uh, uh, we might think of the gospel and the letters as siblings of the same household, 
while the apocalypse might be a cousin, that there's enough of a family resemblance between them that they're all, so you might say, in the same orbit uh, of New Testament Christianity, but they, but uh, as the term suggests, they may not be from the exact same household. With regard to the uh, human authorship of the Gospel of John, Discussions of the authorship of John are related to a figure in the gospel narrative who is called the beloved disciple or the disciple who Jesus loved. Um, he appears uh, on about a half dozen occasions, starting explicitly in chapter 13 at the Last Supper. And the gospel claims to preserve his eyewitness testimony. Okay. However, uh, there's an indication at the very end of the gospel that the beloved disciple has died. Okay, so it uh, the gospel, or at least the very end of it, was written after his death. So this uh, the the situation that emerges here is you have this authoritative teacher, an eyewitness to Jesus called the beloved disciple, whose testimony is preserved in the text we call the Gospel of John. Um, perhaps by one of his students, uh, uh, because it was not unusual for um, writers in antiquity to use secretaries and scribes in the composition of their texts. A great example of this is Paul uh, at the end of the letter to the Romans, uh, and perhaps uh, Peter in the first letter of Peter, where the secretary who's actually penning the composition uh, is named. Now, so this anonymous figure, the beloved disciple, seemingly everyone in antiquity knew who this was, so much so that they didn't bother to write it down for the rest of us. So there is evidence from the second century that um, associates this beloved disciple and names him as John. John is also a very common name uh, in antiquity. You think in the New Testament, there's John the Baptist, John the son of Zebedee. There is uh, John Mark. The visionary of Revelation is also named John. So um, the two principal candidates for who the beloved disciple might be to emerge from antiquity are the son of Zebedee, John the Apostle. There's also a sort of enigmatic figure who's mentioned uh, in a couple of early Christian sources who's just called John the Elder or the Presbyter. Um, some scholars associate the fourth gospel with him, others with the son of Zebedee. Um, uh, so it's not exactly clear on the basis of the uh, evidence that uh, there's going to be an airtight case made. For my part, I like to think that the beloved disciple is the son of Zebedee, whose traditions were preserved uh, in the gospel by one of his uh, students or group of students, among whom may have been this John the Elder. I can't prove that um, exegetically, but I think it's not totally unfounded either. And when was the fourth gospel written? Well, the conventional wisdom is that the fourth gospel was the last of the four gospels to have been written. That also is the testimony from the very early church. Um, there, is an, there are early Christian sources that say John uh, lived to the time of the emperor Trajan, which uh, is roughly the mid-90s uh, on our calendar. And given some of the uh, hints 
that are obliquely mentioned in the Gospel of John, the 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 conventional wisdom uh, and the uh, testimony of uh, early Christian sources really does converge. It was probably written somewhere in the decade of the 90s uh, of the of the of the first century. And the fourth gospel is very different in style and structure mm-hmm. from the other three mm-hmm. and often more difficult to understand. Would you mm-hmm. give some keys to reading it? Sure. Um, one of the helpful uh, uh, principles, uh, this was mentioned by the uh, British uh, uh, Joanine scholar C.K. Bear is also repeated by one of my teachers, Luke Timothy Johnson. The, and the, the principle is this, John makes explicit what is implicit in the Synoptic Gospels. So, for example, in the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus will very often talk about God as the Father or my Father. However, there are not, uh, it is with a less, it is less frequent that Jesus will talk about himself as the Son. Uh, in the synoptic tradition. He does so, but what John will do is uh, emphasize and amplify Jesus's identity as the son of the father um, and really draw out and emphasize what is present in the synoptic tradition, but to a lower degree. So I think that is one uh, uh, principle to keep in mind to approach the gospel. Uh, secondly, and on a more uh, spiritual note, um, and I want to give credit here to my uh, mentor and co-writer, Father Francis Martin, who would say, whenever you are going to read the scripture, the first thing to do is is to repent of your sins, to make an act of contrition, uh, and to ask the Holy Spirit who inspired this text to also illumine and show us what he wants us to see. All right. So uh, and at the end, so that would be point number two to pray uh, before reading the text. And I think thirdly, to read it slowly. Uh, this gospel has so many layers to it, and there's so many things going on that as we read it slowly, and as you mentioned, yeah, it can be confusing and hard to understand, which is why commentaries can be be helpful. But to realize as we read it that when we come across something that is puzzling and we suspect that there is something deeper going on, that there probably is something deeper going on, and therefore to uh, to really take our time with it. Well, your first book, you've picked what is arguably the most authoritative modern commentary in John in English, Father Raymond E. Brown's, mm-hmm. and he also published a separate co- more concise mm-hmm. commentary. Why have you chosen this more thorough and technically advanced one? Yes, you mentioned that Brown does have a smaller commentary, and, and, and in that respect, I would certainly say that is a point of entry into his study of John. That is definitely uh, um, uh, a good place to start. So of these books, I've picked, I've chosen um, them uh, to be at sort of different uh, levels. And as you mentioned, Raymond, Father Raymond Brown's commentary on John is the landmark commentary by an American uh, 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 New Testament scholar of the Gospel of John. Um, it is uh, very thorough. It is very insightful. Uh, it is uh, 
filled with linguistic and historical. And also, I, I want to give him credit here that there is a real theological sensitivity uh, in this book. And I think uh, one of the things that that it really has to commend it is the two volumes came out respectively in the late 1960s and early 1970s. So it's over 50 years old and it's still um, it has stood the test of time. So uh, not only because of its influence, but because of the wealth of information in it, um, it is definitely worth uh, uh uh, our time, especially uh, at a at a more higher level of study with the Gospel of John. And your second pick is now of Jesus by Father Ignace de la Poterie, mm-hmm. the Society of Jesus. Father de la Poterie's study on John's account of the Passion. Mm-hmm. It draws not only on modern exegesis, but also on the Church Fathers and the main monastic traditions. What are his main insights into John's account of the Passion? Um... <clears throat> I would say that de la Poterie's reading of John, I think there are a couple of things I want to signal in particular. Number one, of all the books on this list, if there's one I'm going to like single, like that is the one to go with and to start with, it would be this one, The Hour of Jesus. Not simply for what he does, but how he does it. As you mentioned, de la Poterie integrates modern critical exegesis with the interpretation of pre-modern Christians. He does it with both historical and literary sensitivity. And the result is a um it's a it's a relatively short book, but it is a masterful project. In terms of the substance, two things in particular to note. De La Poterie calls attention to how John literarily structures his passion narrative in what he calls a, a concentric structure so that um, it looks uh, uh, um, like a uh, the a uh, like a letter V where you have uh, the the beginning and the end elements. It begins in a garden with Jesus' arrest, it ends in a garden with Jesus' burial. You have, um, then you have the trial before, uh, uh, or not the, the hearing before Annas, and the centerpiece of the title of the Passion Narrative is the, uh, the, 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 the very dramatic Jesus, uh, the trial before um, Pontius Pilate. And that itself is structured in a um, one of these little concentric patterns. So the way De La Poterie draws out the theological significance of um, how John unfolds his story, his account of the Passion, and the last uh, chapter of the book is a lengthy essay on the resurrection stories in John chapter twenty, and. In particular, one of the things I found especially insightful is how John uses verbs related to seeing uh, differently in this story and how each of these. So each of these episodes in John 20, um, Peter and the beloved disciple go to the tomb, the appearance to Mary Magdalene outside of the tomb the appearance to the disciples without Thomas and then the uh, appearance to the disciples with Thomas present, how these stories depict 
different ways and what um what it means to believe in Jesus as the the risen lord and every time in the story someone has arrived at we would say is easter faith or a robust theological faith that jesus is the risen lord and son of god they always articulate it with a verb of seeing in the perfect tense i have seen the lord or we have seen the lord or you have seen me so the way that john's literary and theological sensibilities work together um uh, is it's it's a masterful uh, display by De La Poterie in this book. M I should also mention most of De La Poterie's um, writings of John have not been translated into English. Uh, most of them are in French, but this is uh, this is one book of his that has been translated into English, and it is uh, wonderful. Thank you for listening. To read or listen to the rest of this interview, and gain full access to our archive. Visit 5booksforcatholics.com and become a premium subscriber. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and give it a top rating on the platform of your choice. That way more people can discover it. You can also support the podcast and help us produce more interviews like this one by making a one-off donation via the link given in the show notes. As little as one dollar, one pound or one Europe can help and will be greatly appreciated. Thank you once again, and God bless.